The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Well, if you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 14. That's where we'll be today. Luke chapter 14 will be there this week, and then we'll be in Luke chapter 15 next week. So we'll cover these two chapters in these two weeks that I have with you. And the reason that I've chosen these two chapters, Luke 14 and 15, is that that Jesus packs these two chapters with a ton of parables. Now, parables are are something that that you really see throughout the scriptures. They're used in the Old Testament as well. Um, But but parables, primarily, when when we think about them, they're packed into the Gospels. And it's Jesus that tells these parables. And so... Before we get started looking at the text, what I want to do is I want to give you um, some, some helpful things to understanding and knowing how to read parables. And so I hope that, that with these principles, you can then go to any of the parables and, and begin to understand and to know God better and to, to really know what the Lord is saying in His Word. So, so these parables, let me just start with a definition. It's a pretty simple one. A parable is a true story... That never happened. Now some of you, it's, it hits you. Some of you, it may take just a minute longer. <laughs> a parable is a true story that never happened. Now what I mean by that is that a parable is a fictional story from the very mind of God. Okay, it's made up. But it comes from the mind of God. And so we know that the truth that, that it conveys, the theological truth that is found in it, is true. And so a parable is a fictional story. It's a story that never happened, but it's very, very, very true. You can take it to the bank. And so with these true stories that never happened, how can we understand them? Let me give you four keys to understanding and applying the principles. And then as we look through Luke 14 this week and 15 next week, then we'll begin to see how these four keys really help us. So number one, if you've got a pen, write these down. If not, it'll be posted on the city. So go to the city. You can do it. Some of you are pushing against that, but it will be on the city. So number one, identify the setting. Number two, identify the specific audience. Number three, identify the purpose of the parable. And number four, remember, it's a parable. So, number one, the setting. Number two, the audience. Number three, the purpose. And number four, the reminder. Remember, this is a parable. So, parables have two effects when Jesus tells them. They have these two effects. Number one, for believers, they call them to understanding. So, they call... Jesus is calling by this story to understanding and to response. And then on the other side, then a parable is exposing unbelief. So it it has this this twofold effect in the audience that that it goes to. But as we work through these, let me give you those four key principles one more time. Number one, identify the setting. Any story that's told, you have to build the setting, right? You got to know where it takes place. Number two, you have to identify the specific audience. Jesus is telling these parables to specific people for a specific purpose. Okay, so, so we have to know who is he telling this to. It matters. Because if we come into the story from a different audience than Jesus is telling it to, we can come up with some funny, funny applications. 
Number three, we have to identify the purpose of the parable. Jesus will tell you his purpose. It normally comes at the end of a parable. And number four, we have to remember that it's a parable. Let me pray for us before we get into our text. God, would you speak to us this morning through your word? Lord, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you would have for us? Lord, I pray that through these parables you would bring about, you would call forth obedience and understanding to to the truths of your word. Lord, and I also pray that you would expose unbelief in our hearts. Lord, that, that we might become more like you. God, would you speak to us this morning? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so if you have your Bible, we're going to be Luke 14, and look at verse 1. We're going to get the setting. Jesus is going to, Jesus is going to reveal to us right here. Okay, so Luke in his gospel, 14 verse 1, he gives us our setting and our audience in this very first verse. Read with me. One Sabbath, when he, being Jesus, went to dine at the house of the ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. Okay, so we see our setting. He is at a house with a bunch of rulers and Pharisees. But he's not just hanging out with them like a bunch of good friends. It tells us the setting is that the, these Pharisees are watching him carefully. Now, some of you are like me. I'm a people watcher. It drives my wife crazy because I just get lost like watching people. But... I was at this restaurant last Sunday with a group of the students and with some of the youth workers. And so I invited them into this game that I play in my mind. Some of y'all do this. I'm not that weird. And so I was like, hey, so look at that couple over there. Tell me, the, tell me their story. Tell me their story. You know, there's the couple that like they haven't t- like stopped touching each other since they came in the restaurant. And it's like they're eating with their left hand because they've like got to hold hands with their right hand. I was like, tell me their story. How long do you think they've been together? How long have they been dating? Are they married? Is that just first date? Is that six months? What about that couple over there? Are they friend zone? Or is that, is that really, is that a wedding ring? Is, it, is that a promise ring? What is that? We can learn a lot about people just by observing their outward actions, right? And so... That's exactly what these Pharisees had done with Jesus, is they had invited him in so that they could watch him carefully. Now, the irony of this this chapter is that Jesus gives them exactly what they want. They're wanting some dirt on him. They're wanting something to incriminate him by. And so Jesus, in his irony, then he says, okay, I'll give you guys what you want. And so there's a man who's, who's... Got dropsy, the text tells us. And so he heals him. And right in front of the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are like, oh yeah, we got him. And then Jesus tells him this story. And he's like, wait a minute, time out. Which one of you guys, if your son fell in a hole on the Sabbath, isn't going to go get him out? Which one of you guys, if an ox falls in a hole, aren't going to go get it out on the Sabbath? He's saying, time out. See, you guys have this extra standard for these other people and you're trying to catch them in these things. And he's like, no, see, your actions would show the same. See, the Pharisees were looking at Jesus and they were trying to catch him in something. And Jesus gives them exactly what they want. But the irony of this text as well as the whole chapter builds is going to come to one point. It's going to come to one point at the very end. 
And as the whole chapter builds, what we see is that the Pharisees were watching Jesus, but Jesus in turn was watching the Pharisees. But Jesus doesn't watch the Pharisees like the Pharisees watch him. You see, Jesus could see the outward actions, but he saw the heart that produced it. And so we see, as we get into this text, we see that Jesus is watching the Pharisees heart rather than just their outward actions. So look with me at this first parable as we as we get into it. Verse seven tells us again, this specific audience is is that Jesus is talking to these people who have gathered around and he's seen this situation. Okay, and so we see the situation that these Pharisees are jockeying for position. It's it's a guy thing, okay? You guys know what it's like. You get a bunch of guys around and they're all kind of like sizing each other up and they're seeing, okay, what's going on? And, and that's exactly what's going on is, is Jesus is observing these Pharisees and they're all surrounding the head of the table, jockeying for position, seeing who's got the longest cords, who's got the most clout, who has the most prestige. And Jesus goes, hmm, okay. I see the way that they view honor. That's what the text tells us. That Jesus saw the way, he noticed the way that they chose the place of honor. And so he told them this parable. Look at 8 through 11. We'll read it together. When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the place of honor. Lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by you. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when the host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Okay, can you see the scene? Everyone's milling around. They're there. Jesus kind of clears his throat. Everyone kind of turns. He catches their attention. Then he tells this parable. But Jesus uses parables like smart bombs. Okay, he uses these parables like smart bombs to to go to the precise location that he desires. But they don't just hit the surface. They go below the surface to the heart. And so Jesus here is addressing the heart issue. See, the wisdom of that Jesus has just said is foreign to the world. The wisdom of the world says, if you want to be recognized, you've got to claw your way to the top. You've got to make sure that people notice you. But Jesus says, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, Jesus is addressing their heart issue. At the end of the story, what we see in the text is that that no one really speaks up. I mean, it's just kind of crickets. And so no one speaks up. And you, you guys have been in this situation when your secret's exposed, when you thought you had slid something by and then you get called on it and your head drops and it's kind of like eyes cut back and forth and you're just looking for someone to break the silence. You just want relief from yourself, from your selfish ambitions and pride that have just been exposed. And it's silent. And then Jesus speaks again. Look with me at verse 12. 
Here we see the specific audience that Jesus targets this bomb to. He speaks directly to the man who invited him. It says in verse 12, He said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your rich neighbors, lest you, or your, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. Seems kind of strange. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed. Because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. This time, can you see the scene? The expressions on their face goes from like, okay, who is this guy? To like, disgust. They're like, what? They're like, this guy is crazy. Because the Pharisees know well, as do you and I, that you don't climb the social ladder by associating with Those that the world despises. You see, you build your LinkedIn profile with connections that can that can help you out. You make business deals with people that can and will scratch your back. The people you sit by at lunch affects your social resume. But Jesus again is turning the wisdom of the world on its head. His his saying that the kingdom of heaven doesn't function like this. Because those in the kingdom of heaven don't live for the reward here and now. They live for the future reward. And so Jesus drops this bomb on the Pharisees yet again. And yet, like just like every party, there's always that guy. You guys know who I'm talking about. It's the one that always speaks up, right? And so here we have in this story of Jesus with these Pharisees, verse 15, the voice that breaks the silence. And look with me at verse 15. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread at the kingdom of God. Right? He's that guy. This guy had picked up on Jesus's reference to the, to the future kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. But, Mr. Know-it-all. He made the assumption that he would be a part of the kingdom simply because of who he was and his social status. And so Jesus, in his wisdom, launches yet another bomb. Look at the parable he tells in verses 16 through 24. Stick with me in this one. It says, but he said to him, A man once gave a banquet and invited many. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to those who had been invited. Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. First, one said to him, I have bought a field. I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I will go examine them. Please. Have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. And the master became angry and said to the servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city, and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. 
And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there's room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Now, in those days, a banquet was a, was a big deal. Think of it kind of like a wedding or something like that. That the save the date had been sent out. Everyone knew the date. Everyone knew the occasion. And so then what would happen in those days is that then a second invitation would go out as a reminder to say, hey, the food's ready, come on. And yet when that invitation went out, everyone that had given their verbal commitment and said, I'll be there. Everyone has an excuse when it actually comes time to show up. Look at these excuses with me. The first, he uses the excuse of his job. He says, I bought a field. I'm going to go check it out. Now, the irony that's, that's woven throughout this story that Jesus tells it could be related to this, that this guy makes a, a million-dollar business deal and he's never seen the property he just bought. Seems kind of crazy, right? It's like buying it just blind. And yet the guy says, I've got to go see it. But he uses his job, and, and you may have heard it said like this. Well, work's just been really busy right now. So I'm just really tied up. I haven't really had a lot of time. Please excuse me. The second person uses the excuse of possessions. See, he bought oxen back in that day. But uh, you and I, it, it, it might be more likely to this, that, that this guy, he says, well, I just bought a car, but I bought it over the phone and I haven't ever seen it. But I'm going to go look at it. And so he says, I've spent a lot of thought and a lot of money finding what I wanted. And now that I have it, I want to enjoy it. He wants to enjoy his stuff. The third excuse is family. It goes something like this. They just wanted some quality time together. They've been so busy lately with the things that, that they just need to take some time for themselves. See, the master's response when he hears these excuses is to extend the invitation to, to others. To compel them. But who are the them? He, he goes to the very ones that the world despises. And he compels the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame to come to the banquet. He sends his messengers to the very ends of the earth with the invitation to come to the banquet. See, the master is filling his house with those that the world rejected. And in turn, those that the world esteems are being rejected by the master. The things that many of us identify with are the very things that Jesus has just delivered a massive destructive payload to the very hearts of the Pharisees. But it's not just the Pharisees. He's delivered this massive destructive payload to your heart and to mine. Because if you're like me, then, then you've said some of these things. You've lived this. And so, if you spent much time in church, then you already have your Christian defense counsel working on your case, right? 
They're justifying your actions. They're putting together your excuses and your defense. Because we can all rationalize our own things, right? And yet Jesus has sent the smart bomb to the precise location. Just below the surface to the issues of our heart. And there is where he desires to destroy the enemy's strongholds. So, before your Christian counsel continues working on your case, let me ask you to pray this prayer with me. We don't normally do this right in the middle of a sermon. But let me ask you to pray and ask God, as I use this model prayer, pray along with me. Lord, would you give me ears to hear your voice today? Would you help me to not be defensive? God, I want you to work in my heart. Give me the courage to obey you. Give me the wisdom to believe you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You see, we're about halfway through this chapter. And Jesus is dropping bombs on the very strongholds of our heart. But Jesus has a few more bombs left. He's got a few more parables to go. So stick with me as we, as we look at verse 25. And, and here's where Jesus goes at the very epicenter of the stronghold. Now, any time in, in battle, then if there's, if there's something worth bombing then it's worth defending by the enemy, right? And so here we see in this text, in verses 25 through 33, let's get our audience in our setting again. Jesus says here, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, Okay, so we, we have our next audience. We've identified it. Jesus is, is through in the Pharisee's house. He is, he is left there and he's now back on his route to Jerusalem where he ultimately will give his life. And so he's in route. And, and there's, there's a huge group of people that, that follow him everywhere. We know that throughout all the Gospels that anywhere that Jesus went, there were crowds. And so we see this crowd that's following him. It's a mixed multitude, which surely included the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Which when Jesus defends the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame to the, to the Pharisees, to the bullies of the day. Now he's got a fan club. And so their champion has just silenced these bullies. But Jesus cares about the affections of their heart more than he cares about just making them feel socially acceptable. And so here in verses 25 through 33, follow with me. Jesus says this. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sister, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Here's his two parables. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? 
Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or, what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, anyone of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus is not confusing here, right? Three times, Jesus articulates what it costs to be his disciple. And then sandwiched in between those is, is Jesus tells these two parables to the listeners concerning the upfront cost and the consequences of either the wise or the foolish decision. You see, the builder of the tower was foolish. He didn't consider the cost before he started. And he got into it and he, he couldn't pay. He didn't have enough in the bank to cover what he said he was going to do. And yet then we see the king, and, and the king is the wise one in this, who sits down and deliberates at first and says, okay, with 10,000, can I take the king who's coming at me with 20,000? No, I don't think so. Let's send someone to go and make peace. You see, there's, there's costs, and the wise person considers the costs up front before they get into it. Jesus says the price of admission to the kingdom of heaven is everything you have. It's your ambitions. It's your status. It's your job. It's your possessions. It's your family. It's your future. It's your security. And even your life itself. This again is foolishness to the world. Because the world says you do not gain by losing. And yet that is exactly what Jesus is saying here. The invitation to follow Jesus is a call to give up everything. And yet, you and I have heard it, and some might say, we're not all called to give up everything. They're wrong. Don't believe that lie. Let me reread the words of Jesus. So therefore... Anyone who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. It's only when we believe Jesus and surrender everything that Jesus can then give us the abundant life that he has for us that's found in himself. It's only then that He can give us the good gifts that He desires to give us. It's only then that He can give us the blessings that He desires for us to steward. You see, God's a good Father that loves to bless His children. But it starts when we give up everything to follow Him. So you ask, how do we know that this is true, right? This goes against the teachings that Jesus has laid out here, goes against everything that the world tells us. So how do we know that this is true? How do I know that when times get hard, I can take this to the bank? Well, we look at Jesus, right? He's the one that said it, but he's the one that lived it. 
Philippians 2, 5 through 11, listen to what it says. It says, though he was in the form of God, Jesus, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. But therefore... God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Remember the teaching? He who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. And we see it in the life of Jesus. Jesus closes with this last parable in verses 34 and 35. Look at what he says. Jesus says, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall it be? How shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. You see, the distinguishing factor of salt is its saltiness. When it's gone, it's useless. The distinguishing factor of those in the kingdom of God is that their life is permeated with the reality of the kingdom. What does that look like? Well, those in the kingdom of heaven don't find their value in the approval of others. For they are approved by the king. Those in the kingdom of heaven don't find their value in the possessions of this world. For they are promised the treasures of heaven. Those in the kingdom of heaven don't find their value in life itself. For they know that eternal life awaits them. Those in the kingdom of heaven have accepted the invitation... To deny themselves and follow Jesus. Jim Elliot wrote this quote in his journal several years before he gave up the accommodations of America, before he left his family and his friends, and before a band of ten men he was trying to share the gospel with killed him. Here's what he said He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep. To gain what he cannot lose. Let me say it again. He is no fool. Who gives what he cannot keep. To gain what he cannot lose. You see. Jim Elliot got it. He got the teaching of Jesus in these parables. That comes to the very point. Where Jesus has destroyed the strongholds with these smart bombs. And has brought us to the place. Where we say the kingdom of heaven is worth everything. I want to follow Jesus. So today, what is Jesus teaching you? Where are those bombs hitting in your heart? Where are the strongholds that need destroyed? That are going to be the excuses that you'll give. Because Jesus cares about your heart. He doesn't just care about the outward actions. He cares about your heart. The actions will follow when the heart's right. 
He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this passage. Lord, as, as you send these, these smart bombs into the areas of our heart, Lord, to bring about destruction to, to enemy strongholds. God, I pray that we would respond well. Lord, that we wouldn't be foolish but that we would listen to your word, that we would listen to you speak into our life. Lord, that you desire to give us abundant life. You desire to give us good gifts. You desire to give us eternal life. Lord, so I thank you for this passage that points us to the only way that that comes, that it's through Jesus, that it's through giving up the things of this world, that it's through giving up our selfish pride and ambition and turning to Jesus and following Jesus and considering everything that we have lost in order that we might follow you. Lord, so would you bring about obedience in our heart? Would you bring about understanding that leads to obedience through these parables? God, would you reveal unbelief in our heart that we might believe you? Lord, that we wouldn't believe the wisdom of the world more than we believe you. Lord, so give us the courage to be obedient to your word. To consider all these things lost that we might follow you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norsferrychurch.org.